Welcome to Reimagine the Contact Center. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein, and my guest today is Jordan Draper, Sales and Management Pro and Director of Operations at Dagley Insurance. Jordan Draper, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Really good. It's the, the day after Super Bowl Sunday. Did you have a favorite you were picking? Were you disappointed by who won? No, no, no. Actually, um, I was finding the way. I thought it was kind of cool that the Rams won. I kind of liked the idea of seeing Matthew Stafford win one. I kind of had this feeling like if it doesn't happen now, then it might not ever happen for him. And, uh, you know, it's just a great player for so long. So you just like to see good things happen to good people no matter you know, you know, what the circumstances are. Yeah, Jordan, I think that's like one of the most fun things about, you know, professional sports is when you can rally around someone who is great and who also deserves it. Like that's a good feeling. And I'll tell you, um, you know, I'm here uh, from St. Louis and was uh, previously, you know, a Rams fan until oh, yeah. that's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah. You don't say the R word here, here in St. Louis, typically. Um, well, so, I'm from Seattle, and so we've lost the Supersonics as well. So we both know what it feels like to have a team ripped from you and then go somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to jump on the uh, the Kansas City bandwagon, right? Like Mahomes is a good bandwagon to be on, but, um, you know, they got kicked out a couple of rounds ago. So I just, uh, I, I uh, you know, stayed off the Super Bowl at a protest. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you, did you didn't end up watching it then? No, I didn't. My uh, fiance and I organized the house, which is the exact opposite of the Super Bowl, I think. That's probably true. That's probably true. No, it was a good one. Good game. Uh, the halftime show has been, you know, people going back and forth on whether or not uh, that was a good one. I, I personally enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. And, you know, I, th- I think it was the first time that there was a hip hop performance um, as the uh, the headliner uh, for the Super Bowl. And that's okay. meaningful for, you know, a lot of reasons. Because you know, obviously, hip hop has had such a big impact on you know American culture uh, and the, and you know culture across the world, and to not get that big stage um, at the Super Bowl, I think uh, had a lot of people frustrated, and it felt like a nice relief to get um, you know a whole bunch of like the classic hip hop artists like Eminem and Dre um, and Snoop Dogg that had a big impact on the industry to be there performing on the biggest stage. Yeah, I agree. And I, I thought it was kind of uh, strange that Matthew Stafford came from Detroit to play for L.A. to win. And then Eminem came from Detroit over to L.A. to play in the same. It's almost like I don't know if it was foreshadowing or what, but I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, destiny. Well, Jordan, uh, so you've been a part of you know agencies, you know, big and small. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, when you're trying to grow uh, an insurance agency or, and you're trying to grow a sales organization, um, what is different when it's smaller, when you're maybe 15 or 20 people versus when you're, you know, peaking a hundred or more? Yeah. I mean, even specifically at Dagley Insurance, we, when I started here, we were only 15 or so employees and we've now worked our way up into over 50. And so just even here, we've had the long range changes over time as well. And I think when you're 10 or 12 people, you do things for one, a lot of time you're sitting in the same room. And so the culture just comes from hearing other people, the way they talk to customers and the expectation. I think as time goes on, right, you split into multiple locations and you try to replicate that, but it doesn't always land right. And so going from 
smaller agency where it was almost like family to now building something that's quite a bit bigger and trying to replicate it from people you never not really even met before. Uh, it, it does, you know, provide some challenges. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the things that we've done really, really well is our leadership team has done a really good job in kind of spreading out and making sure that a little part uh, gets taken to each location and to each part of wherever we're operating in uh, to make sure that you know, the original feel is still there. That family feel is still there. What, what does that look like? Cause you know, when I think about, you know, your leadership going to various you know, locations, you know, on one hand, you could think about when people do that poorly and it kind of looks like lip service and you go in the sales floor and just have a poster with your values plaster on the wall. You're like, okay, thanks. That's like, you know, doing a lip service. And then there's also, I think some organizations that do a really good job of saying, you know, that wherever you are, you're part of one team, one unit. Um, and we all have a common culture and a common mission. So, you know, how do you guys, uh, you know, do that and, and try to make sure you're going beyond just doing lip service to it? Yeah, I think for as managers, one of the things I think is really important is, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, right? Which is do what you say you're actually going to do and not just put it on the wall. But then two, I, I don't feel like anyone is bigger than the whole at Dagley Insurance. I feel like if someone on the team needs something, I'm not too big to go talk to a customer and solve a small problem. I think that that speaks volumes to the individuals who are dealing with what would be perceived individual customer issues? And then two, I think one of the cool things about working for a small agency is when you need to leave and go to a kid's game or you need to be at your kid's school, like, and that's at two o'clock in the afternoon. We used to just do that, right? It was like, hey, I need to go, I'll come back. The larger you get when you start working for larger corporations, there's being at nine, leave at five. We've got hours, schedules, times. We've done a really, really good job on recreating that still over time, right? And making sure that even though we may not be the closest family here, that you have the ability to spend time with your family like we would back in the day. And I think that that's something that's that's proven very, very helpful too, because I think folks feel like as they're working here, that even though this may not be their career path forever, that while they're here, they are enjoying themselves and they don't feel like that this is oppressive, that it's somewhere that you can, come in and leave and go if you need to. Uh, I think that's something that's kind of, we've pulled as time has gone on. Yeah. It's it, super interesting. I, I heard a couple things there, Jordan. The, one of them is uh, that if you, you don't need to feel like it's your career path forever to still enjoy the work you're doing, enjoy your environment and feel like it's allowing the place that you're working to be a step, you know, toward the path that you want to go on. Um, and it sounds like you guys, um, you know, are, are kind of communicating uh, to everyone who works at Dagley in that way. I, I also heard that uh, one of the things that's, that's particularly interesting um, about, about you all is that as you've, you've scaled, you haven't lost some of the things that you used to do that, that made you special. And, and I can give you kind of a quick example on, on Balto's side. You know, it's funny, we do this thing uh, called the soiree and it's an all hands meeting every single Friday. And we've been doing the soiree and all hands meeting with everyone in the company every single week for five years. And people were telling us that if you do it, you're going to get too big. It's, you're going to scale. It's not going to scale. 
and you have to change the format a little bit to make it relevant yeah. to everyone. Yeah. You know, but we're 150 people and still have an all hands meeting every Friday and we change it and evolve it and are able to create a meaningful cultural bond with everyone in that meeting. So I think it's almost sometimes people when they get big go, oh, the thing I did, you know, for the culture, that's for the small guys. The big guys don't do that. But I think often, you know, you have the ability to say, well, what if we did? There's no reason we shouldn't keep some of those things that made us special. Well, I think if you build a company right, the folks who were there when the meeting was small, you would hope that would be they would become team leads in other areas, right? right? And I think the problem you have is when you have folks who get left behind in a way and it grows and there becomes resentment, there becomes this spot of, well, it used to be better back in the day, right? And if you do it right, everyone who's there leading the meeting is going, this is as good as it's ever been right? It's when you have someone saying, man, it was so much better back in the day. You, you should have been here 10 years ago. It was so awesome, right? But when you have that core group is saying like, we've never been better than this, people feel that when they come in the room and in those meetings too, right? What are the sort of things you think that people feel like you know, might've been better back in the day? Like, What are the things that kind of come top of mind when someone says, you know, oh, it used to be so much better back then? I think those meetings specifically have done wrong. Certainly, I mean, I, I remember times in which we had meetings in which we had cookouts and we did all the different, uh, uh, we may even had drinks here or celebrated birthdays. As you scale, right, it's hard to do some of those intimate things on a large level across multiple locations. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, for some individuals who really aren't here anymore, that was difficult to see, right, is a scale and then it not be the same thing they had the most value on, even though that wasn't something we had the most value on. Right. So then how do you do it? Because, you know, right now, if you look at what people are looking for, you know, in their jobs, you know, that one of the probably number one things that I hear most often, uh, loudest than ever is culture, culture, culture. So when you get bigger and you have multiple locations and you know, people, some people may be working remote. I don't know if you guys are remote or if you're in person or hybrid, but how do you guys, you know, build and keep culture, you know, as you've gotten bigger and also through this, you know, crazy pandemic time we're all living in? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I'm not sure if you follow Gary Vaynerchuk, but I mean, he's he's had some really good one-liners that basically say, or asking that person, what's most important to you, right? And finding out what that thing is and try to find some way to accommodate it. In some ways, you're replacing the the barbecue with something that's also beneficial to that person. And it may be just as beneficial to them to be able to leave early on Tuesday to make it to that meeting as it is to have, you know, to cut out early on Tuesdays and and do a, a barbecue and drinks and stuff like that. So I think there is a part where you ask individuals what's most important to them. And for folk, there are a handful of folks who say, I'd like to be able to get together and do stuff. So we still try to make that happen. Sometimes they're in individual office level and, and uh, we as managers try to make it to that. I go to Plano once or twice a month. I haven't been so much this last month, but uh, some of our other managers make it every single month to the other locations. And we're making sure we're there for those types of events so that when, that, when that's happening, that, that feel is still there. But they yeah. still have access to the highest level managers that we used to have when we first started. That's, that's part of it, right? Is you want to be noticed and seen and those little events where you get to sit there and talk to someone who's higher up than you and learn about the business. uh, Those get lost if you don't do them often enough. 
Jordan, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, we, you know, essentially our, the model we have at Balto is um, that we are replacing some of our real estate costs, you know, because we would need uh, many more square feet to house everybody if, uh, you know, everyone were here in person all the time. We're just switching that cost for travel cost, uh, travel for people to come and, and be together on site and, you know, be visiting and getting FaceTime. Um, you know, we don't see that as a cost savings, like, oh, let's take that and put it back in the bank. You know, we, we see that's like almost the culture budget that needs to go back toward the culture, toward making sure people are forming connections. Yeah. And the AC doesn't break and the bathrooms don't need to be plunged when you, when you have to travel, it's a little bit easier to manage as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't think that was particularly a culture builder, whatever the bathrooms broke. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So then, um, Jordan, you know, in terms of the, the other things that get harder as you grow, um, you know, I think maintaining culture in many ways gets harder. What else gets harder as you guys get bigger? Yeah. I mean, we have always been a sales culture. So these kind of go hand in hand. We've always been more sales driven as an insurance agency goes. We do have a massive service center and we do put a lot of focus on that. Um, but when you're in the insurance industry, it's always about trying to replace the business that you've lost. And that's probably every industry. Uh, but because we're a recurring revenue, and you're trying to always find a way to replace the customers that you lost. So we've been so sales driven for so long. And I think one of the things that's hard is to try to grow that, but then also keep the values the same. People come from other places and they may have good technical sales skills. They may know about the products, but maybe their values from wherever they came from are either greater or less than ours may be. There's plenty of folks who come from a place that maybe a high-end insurance company, maybe work with high-end clients and they feel like, hey, I'm, I'm not interested in doing it the way you do it. And we may say, hey, we service a, a wide range of clients in which we're fine with dealing with someone who may have credit issues or may not be the same income level or things like that. And so, you know, um, I think it's trying to get those to get the same values you have. Mm-hmm. Now, there's almost like, two aspects I'm hearing of that, you know, of course the first is like teaching and saying, Hey, here's our values. Here's how we do business. Let me make sure that you communicate it. And then, um, I guess another piece of that would be, uh, following up to make sure it's actually adhered to and that, you know, they are right. adopting changes. That's right. Cause everyone goes through training and they hear the values and they're able to repeat the values. And then they can pass a little quiz that says what the values are. The question is when they're alone by themselves on the phone and they just need to get a sale, are they doing what they sh- what you should be doing? And for those who uh, are, are doing well in sales, uh, are you passing that along? Are you uh, grabbing the torch and are you running with the uh, values as well? Right. So there's this concept um, around um, how to actually get your values um, acted on by people uh, that I, I've been thinking about recently. And it's kind of like the concept of memes, um, you know, because the original idea of a meme is just some sort of self-replicating concept. And, you know, then, you know, we, the internet took it and said, it's, it's a, you know, funny little th- you know cartoon or you yeah. know, poster cartoon. Um, but you can create these little things in people's memory that self-replicate. So, you know, one of our values is leadership is ownership. And, um, you know, we'll say jokingly, or we'll say uh, seriously, whenever, you know, someone is, uh, you know, taking, uh, raising their hand to own something, 
will say, thanks a lot. Leadership is ownership. And it's like a little bit funny. It's a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's also real. And um, you know, when you have a couple of values like that, leadership is ownership. Start with gratitude. Always be growing. Those are Balto's three values. Um, and you continue to uh, bring them up all throughout the workplace. It kind of gets ingrained in how people do business. So I, I wonder, you know, are, you know, what are the ways that you all try to take those values and put them into the workplace? Have you? Are there anything you know, along those lines that you guys find yourself doing? Yeah, I mean, on the sales side specifically, we have a couple. Uh, we have um, se- several absolutes that we that we do, and on the service side. We have a lot, and because it's one of those things where it's easy to kind of get away on the service side. But you know, specifically, I, I don't know that we have a whole lot of catchphrases like that. Um, but those are great, and we probably should find some way to make those because it is make it easier to repeat it. Uh, but on the service side specifically, we've always you know we always talk about um, calling clients back with negative information. It's very easy to send an email, right? Box checked. I told them the policy's canceled. Great. But do they know the policy's canceled? You told them the policy's canceled, but do they know? Right. And so that's one of those things where that trickle down trickles down from myself to the senior account managers to the service people. Everyone in the service group knows that if a client did not get a phone call, at least with a voicemail, I'm going to say something about it. Right. Did you call them? Well, no, I didn't. I sent them an email. It's not like I'm catching them off guard. That is part of what we do. Anytime there's negative information, we always want to call back. And then on the sales side, we specifically say, hey, we never email quotes, right? We present pricing live over the phone to customers interested in buying, or if they want to review it later, we may email that to them afterwards. But that's one of those things that that does take on culture because now our our trainers and things like that, when someone's saying like, hey, I didn't end up getting this sale, that's the first question we ask. Did you present pricing live over the phone or did you just email it to them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that's not a gotcha because we talk about it constantly. Right. Jordan, It's th- those are awesome examples because those are behaviors that you can act out that um, have some like real underlying meaning to it. So the first one, you know, uh, making sure that you present negative information, you know, over the phone um, or making sure that you call them, um, you know, what I hear from that is... Uh, don't shy away from giving the customer bad news. Be direct. Don't be scared about it. You know you need to uh, make sure that you're giving them you know everything they need, and you can't uh, you can't be worried about how they're going to react. Um, right. Insurance is a product that you can go without, but if you're not aware, you don't have it. Really, really bad things happen in people's lives. Right. right? It's not like you're buying a refrigerator and you call in and then they say, hey, well, I'd like a 20% discount. All right, let me ask my manager and I'll get back with you. It's not about, it's not like you forgot to tell them that they're not getting the discount. You forgot to tell them they don't have insurance. And that's a problem, right? And we take that very, very seriously. So that's a little bit different than most other products. But yeah, it is a scapegoat 100%. The email is the scapegoat. In fact, I'd almost take the email away except for we use it for so many things. It's so important. Yeah. That that's yeah that's that's super interesting, and then you know everyone's thinking about you know making sure to you know have this culture of not being afraid you know of of you know tough conversations, and I can imagine that then goes to to good coaching conversations, and that then goes to good leadership and executive conversations. That's right. That's right. 
it it, it uh, you said ownership earlier. I, we read the book Extreme Ownership as a management group here, and that's kind of one of the things that we always pass on is like if you know it but don't pass it on, then you still own it, right? So there's no way that the that the customer got that if you didn't pass it on to them individually, right? It's like you can't email a torch; you have to physically pass it to the next person, right? And then, you know, what's behind that second, um, you know, value that you mentioned of always presenting, uh, present price over the phone, don't email a quote. What's behind that? Yeah. So you'd mentioned a little bit. I mean, we, we do sell the majority of all of our entrance uh, online. I would say 99.5% of it's not with someone live in front of us. When I first started, people would come into the office, we'd sit down and we would go over um, what it is that they want to ensure, what they need. It would almost be a consultative um, environment. And we still try to replicate that um, through online, but people just aren't even interested in coming in anymore. It's not that COVID's closed the doors. That happened two or three or four years ago where people stopped coming in. And uh, there, there became this thing where when we started buying leads and calling leads and working through stuff, it's almost like you could get busy in the day-to-day life of being an insurance agent and trying to do sales and that sending them pricing was almost just like a checkbox in the nine things that needed to get done in selling. But it's the only thing that matters, right? If you never talk to them, that's not as important as the one time you present pricing. And so we would find that folks would get so busy, they would have so many leads in front of them that they would almost forget the most important thing, which is asking for the sale, right? You can't ask for the sale in an email. Not to mention, this market is so difficult, right? Everyone's got some sort of catch phase and they're trying to sell you insurance, right? So when you send an insurance proposal to someone, uh, it's up to their interpretation. So if you're not there describing why you're different or what the difference between your product is and what they currently have in their hand, it's too difficult of a product for someone to see value in if you're not the one presenting it. So we found early, early on that it's better to take less clients and make sure you present all of them live on the phone than it is to have a thousand prospects that you email all of them because mm-hmm. it just doesn't work out. Jordan, I, I totally agree. You know, our we've talked about that in our sales organization at Balto too, where um, you know we talked about shifting from low probability thinking to high probability thinking where low probability thinking is, well, I'm probably not going to get the deal. So let me just send, you know, just, just send it, just send it and I'll send a hundred. And then, you know, maybe, you know, uh, 10 of them will come back. And we said, you know, how can you know, we shift our thinking to say, you know, out of those, you know, hundred, I could get almost every one. I could get almost every one. So I can't handle all hundred. I need to choose the best of the hundred and try yeah. to win 80% yeah. of them. That's right especially when it comes to presenting price, you know, that's not the point where you have low probability thinking. You say, well, I'll shoot my shot and see what happens. That's the point where you're saying, you know, this is nearly a done deal unless, unless, uh, you know, I, I derail it. Yeah. And depending on what, what you're selling, right. If uh, you're talking about building a building and you're sending a massive proposal and there's a 200% chance they're at least going to get back with you and talk about why you did or didn't win the bid. Right. When you're talking about, small products like insurance, you will never hear from that person ever again. If you don't put yourself in a position to hear from them again, it's so, so easy uh, to lose out. And we have a lot of agents who, until you tell them, 
they don't actually know this. Your job is not to present quotes. Like they feel like that they're required to, that because we pres- presented them in front of a lead, that they were required to present some sort of pricing, right? Mm-hmm. And so they just become a quote mill. All they're doing is just sending out quotes. And it's not until you change their perception is like, no, 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 we sell insurance policies here. And that changes things for them. It's like, hey, you're supposed to find, like you'd mentioned, people who are interested in buying from us. If the customer at the end of this whole thing doesn't even say that they're interested in buying today, this week, this month, move on and, and come back to them whenever they're ready. Mm-hmm. Jordan, uh, you know, when I came up in, in sales, um, I was a huge fan of the Sandler methodology. And one of the things that you know Sandler talks about is uh, almost selling against the sale, right? So instead of telling the person all the reasons why the policy is right for them, you know, you can say, "Hey, so out of all the reasons you might buy this policy, here's three th- reasons you might not. If any of these apply, then that might not might not be the right policy for you." And then what you'll typically have is the person either agree and say, "Oh, geez, they apply, and it's not right for me." Or they'll say no, none of them apply. In which case, you know, you have someone you've you know taken out some of the biggest objections, and they're already you know bought in and more receptive to the value. So you know, I do think that you don't need to give a quote to every single person you pass. In fact, you can even tell them, you know, uh, you know, I might you you getting a quote might not be the right thing here, and then you can you know work it out. Um, with them, you're on the same side with them versus you trying to convince them to take the quote and them saying, ah, oh, fine, whatever, I'll spend another 10 minutes with you. Yeah. Well, and there's so much perception that comes from when you're working and purchasing leads, you don't know what the person's perception is when they're coming in the door, right? You don't know how many times they've talked to somebody else. Just getting that ability to say no and that coming from the salesperson is pretty refreshing to them, right? All of a sudden, it's like, you're a real human being. You're like me. You know that I might not buy from you. And just saying that makes people feel like this is a real person. You know, I'll tell you, Jordan, I was in a furniture store this weekend. Uh, You know, my fiance and I were getting a house and we went to go furniture shopping and we loved our our furniture salesperson. Uh, Shout out to Tom. Tom was awesome. And we, we listened over to someone else on the floor and this couple walks up to one of the other salespeople and the guy goes, so what can I sell you today? And he goes, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's like a, that is a picture perfect worst example of how to start that interaction. Yeah. It's almost like a little henchman from like the old cartoons or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so it just, if you start out, you know, and the first thing you're saying, to the customer is, oh, you're buying from me. Then the customer is going to feel like, well, I don't know about that. You know? And yeah. so I think that's a big part of you know how people feel pressure is they feel pressure if the salesperson is saying you're going to buy and you're saying and you're not sure yet, you know. But if the salesperson is saying you might not buy and I understand why you wouldn't, then it kind of puts you on the side of saying, well, here's why I would. Yeah, you know, I'm not familiar with the Sandler method. You brought that up. I am familiar with the name. We had recently been working on a sales. A program here at Dagley Insurance. And the lady who was working on that with us, she came from the Sandler method and she had re- referenced some of those things several times. And one of the big things that she had kind of pointed out to us that we weren't doing very well, and it's always good to have someone listen to your calls because you think you're doing awesome until someone who's outside of the whole thing, they don't they have no benefit to buy or, or anything from you says, you know, hey, one of the things that you're doing or one of the things you might consider doing 
is uh, telling the customer, hey, if it doesn't work out, that's okay too, right? And so that was one of her big things. And she mentioned that came from the sound method. So it sounds like it's very, very similar to what you're talking about. Spot on. So Jordan, that kind of brings up a question for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm honestly personally wrestling with it. I'm, you know, about you know, how you know, sales should be done in the modern day. And I'm trying to figure you know, out what, what my, what my perspective is on handling objections, you know, cause it used to be that, you know, you, you don't take no for an answer and either they say yes to your sale or the, or the phone's on the hook, you know, those are the two options. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the modern buyers are maybe a little bit more prickly about, you know, objections and they don't like their objections being handled. You know, how do you all view that? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we like everyone else struggle with objections. Uh, we have a lot of folks who still just fold underneath any objection that comes in. I think it depends on what it is. Right. And so we like to sell high end products or products. We feel like cost that, that, take care of the customer quite a bit better. And so there are some things we talk about um, replacement cost coverage, which means we're going to replace your house completely. There are things like water damage. So leaking and breaking of pipes, um, um, broad form policy, meaning they're going to kind of cover more of everything. There are two or three of those that we kind of feel like, not that we won't budge on them, but we're going to continue to uh, inform the customer, inform the customer, inform the customer until they say, I am 100% aware that this is better for me. I still want to buy something else, right? And we're okay with that too. I mean, it's not what I would prefer. We want them to buy the highest level of coverage. Uh, but there are others that, like you said, that there are things that we may think are mostly important, 1% deductible, meaning that's the amount that the customer will pay out. But if someone feels like that they're well-informed on it and they want to go with something completely different, we may not fight them on that. That may not be something that's a sticking point for us. I think it just comes down to going back to core values and what do you sell? Um, and then I think some of it too comes back to training, right? Because the other, the other objections were, hey, I don't want to get a quote for home and auto right now. I want to get a quote for just home. And so uh, plenty of the agents who don't do well they just take that and move forward versus continuing to push on. Hey, one of the best, one of the best prices I can give you is when I combine home and auto together, right? Mm -hmm. Saying it over and over again, even if you don't win it now, before you get off the call, even if the customer purchased from you, Hey, I'm going to call you back in six months because I really do feel like I could save you even more by bringing them both together. You know, I think that those tenacious folks, if that's part of their personality, overcoming objections is just something that they do. It's not something that you, I mean, you can teach it. I don't want to say that you can't, but I just think for the right person, it's an, it's part of their nature is to not lose. Right. I want to make sure I take care of you the best possible way I can. Right. So let's take that example for a second, you know, bundling home and auto. Um, that objection is a very different objection if it's the first thing the customer says when they call in, you say, hey, you know, what are you calling about today? And they say, oh, I want to do home. I'm actually all set with auto. I just want to look at home today. That's one thing. Versus yeah. you get to the end of the, of the presentation and you said, all right, you guys ready to sign up? And they say, well, I like the home, but I don't want to do the auto. Um, those are two very different scenarios. So you know, how would you recommend folks handle those sort of objections early in the call versus the objections that they get late in the call? 
Yeah. So for someone who's saying that they don't want to get a quote for auto insurance early in the call, that means that you're probably the sixth person they've talked to and they're getting tired of dealing with this. Right. That's okay. As long as you identify that that's where that person's coming from and you find some way to highlight it. Sounds like you've been doing this for a while. This must be a frustrating process. Let me handle the home for you and we can always follow back on the auto, right? There's ways to, to even bring their guard down with that. They're like, oh, this person is a real person. Once again, they identify the fact that they're just not trying to sell me every product under the sun. That can actually win a lot of people over. Yep. The other side of it, though, when you're talking about waiting towards the end, we, we really focus on having a... So we do have a script, and I recommend that our agents read through the script and know how the script works. But having that framework that you hang the script on is some of the most important because there are spots in there in which you can ask for the auto uh, or ask for those additional products without being too weird, right? It's very difficult when you're spending a bunch of time talking about the house in their house to just drop, hey, would you like to buy auto insurance as well? It's more important, I feel like, for you to frame the whole process within the first two minutes, right? This is what I'm going to do for you. This is how long it takes. This is the benefit. And ultimately at the end, this is what you're going to end up with. If you start with that and you talk about the additional products early, early on, it's one of those things that I think, especially if the customer feels like that the whole process is going to take hours or maybe for previously has taken hours, this is going to take 20 minutes. At the end, you could have home and auto insurance. This is very, very fast. It allows for them now to go, or I may even let you off the phone and bring you back on whenever I'm ready to go. That takes their guard down and goes, okay, I can let them do more things than I thought because they're cognizant of my time. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're setting those expectations with buyers in the beginning, um, I think that one of the reasons salespeople skip over that is they feel like the buyer is impatient. They feel like the buyer is like, all right, get on with it, get on with it. You know, I want the question answered. I want to know about the policy. You know, why are you sitting here telling me that you know it's going to be 20 minutes? The first thing we're going to do is get to understand your needs and your current level of coverage. And then we're going to talk about what kind of options make the most sense for you. Then we're going to go into pricing, give you a little bit about the different rates and the different options available. Yeah. Be able to, you know, and then they they feel like the buyer, they imagine the buyer is sitting there, you know, tapping their watch. So, you know, what do you, what do you think about um, making that investment upfront to set expectations? How do you make sure you do that without getting the buyer to, you know, want to jump ahead or, or, or not pay attention? Yeah. And I think everything I just said previously before that I was very robotic in, this is how you do this, then you do that, then you do right, this. Right. If you forget to build rapport on some level somewhere, right? It's going to be very, very hard to ask for the equity to ask for more questions as time goes on, right? And so I do think making the investment to ask early on for some of these different things or set the framework is important. But even if you do that and then just move on to the next step without finding some sort of common ground, that could just be about the house, about the dog, about the Super Bowl, their favorite team. I mean, you could ask about the weather. That's a little bit cheesy, but finding some way to come into common ground that has nothing to do with the product you're selling allows for open communication, at least for a little bit, right? It allows for you to ask additional questions. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and, you know, when it comes to building rapport, I think sometimes, you know, first of all, people way too often go to the weather. Um, yeah. And uh, it's just like, we're bored of that. <laughs> We've all, how many times in your life have you talked about the weather? Like we're enough, we're done. Yeah. Um, 
But one of the things that I, I always recommend is a, actually a method from Dale Carnegie. Um, and you know, he wrote this in uh, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. And he said, have one question about the other person, about something about them that genuinely interests you. Ask the other person some question about them or their lives or themselves that genuinely interests you. And you got to kind of build that habit and get used to it. But you were talking, Jordan, about, you know, asked, you know, mentioning something about the home. That's perfect. Like, can you find something about that person's home that interests you? Something about the layout that seems interesting? Something about, you know, uh, you know, the, the area that seems interesting? Is there something you can do? And I, I think that that, when you get other people talking about themselves and you show them that you care and that you're interested. Um, that's far better than, you know, Hey, how's it sunny over there? Oh, you guys getting that storm? Like it's just, it's a night and day difference. Well, especially if, if you, if that person's been on multiple calls already and in our industry, they are, that's the third time someone's asked them about the weather. Right. And it might even been in the last 20 minutes. Right. It just feels like the same hokey conversation they just had just a little bit ago. And I, and I agree with you. That is my go-to. I may say, Oh my gosh, I love the entrance to that. Did you guys pick that or was that there when you moved in, right? So that, that's the way I do it. And I try to push some of them to do that. But some of them come up with way better stuff than, than I have, right? And they almost push the boundaries of like, uh, is that even, but you know, it works, it lands. And some of that is what's most important is listening to who the person is and just seeing if you can make some sort of connection with them. Yeah. So Jordan, I'll, I'll give you an, an example on my side, um, and this is a, a real one. I see that you know on your table here. Um, for folks just listening, I'll describe it. You know, Jordan's sitting at a table, and he has two hourglasses uh, oh, yeah. with uh, you know with sand like timers, and you don't see that every day. And I'm curious, like you know, what what do you use those for? Oh, I'm afraid on who's going to listen to the <laughs> podcast. Well. As a joke, so I do have a lot of people who come in and want to talk, right? And so for me, uh, I want a, a 15 minute timer as well. That's a 30 and a five. And so uh, there are some tasks that take me too long and I easily get sidetracked. And so I wanted something that was not just a digital timer. I wanted it to be representative that if I said, hey, I need to get this done in 30 minutes before this meeting, especially if it's for a meeting, I may flip that over and put it in front of me. Not only is a representative to me, but people walking in see it and may turn around and walk out because they're like, oh, I've never told anybody what it is. But then there's a few folks that as a small joke, I may just grab it and just as they're talking, go, just <laughs> talking, keep going. And now they know they're on the clock, right? Ah, uh, Jordan, hysterical. So <laughs> I, I can already tell that um, you know, you're somebody who... Um, you know, really respects your time and respects other people's time and you know, thinks a lot about how you can make the most of it. Yeah, I, I do feel like um, for me personally, I, I have a lot of things that I want to get done. I have a lot of things that I feel like the daily insurance can't move on to the next level um, if I don't get done. But then I also know that it's important for salespeople to realize that their managers don't just leave at four o'clock and then they're here till six and I'm at home. I'm usually here as long as they are, but I also like to be able to say like, Hey, is this the best use of your time? Especially if someone's watching YouTube or maybe chatting too long. I want this to be a fun place and it is a fun place, but at the same time, are there things that you could be doing right now that would be more beneficial for your time? 
And I think that as long as you find some way to make sure you're representing that and you're not the one sitting out in the mid station and talking, that people realize that while they're here, the most important thing is taking care of the client. Right. Yeah. That was a little more serious than I wanted it to land, but that's, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think that that's, that's why I have it out is it's kind of like a representation of like time is valuable and it certainly could be wasted. Oh, no, I, I totally get it. And that kind of goes back to the, you know, the conversation we had earlier about, you know, memes, right? And you, know, you can, you know, express one of your values and make it a little bit tongue in cheek. Because if yeah. you're always, you know, you know, talking about your values in a serious way, then it becomes a little bit harder to hear. You know, you're, you're like, oh my God, am I getting a lesson on our values every other day? But yeah. if you're finding ways to, you know, be reinforcing those values, but be a little bit lighthearted about it and, you know, have a, you know, an hourglass you tip over, then, then that's great. There's a lot yeah. of ways to communicate the same message. Absolutely. I agree. hundred percent. And I think for those of us in the industry, you know, I read lots and lots of books. It's always good to read something new or find something new because when someone finds that cheat code, right, that helps them go to the next level and then you can read it in a book about, they're like, oh, that's the one thing I've been missing. Rarely is it one thing, but you go add that one thing in and all of a sudden that, that changes your day and that then changes your life, right? Jordan, what what's something you've read recently that you feel like, was the closest thing to a cheat code you can remember where oh, you saw yeah. that thing and you said that just I shouldn't have said that then because now you're going to call me out on it. <laughs> um, you know, I did not like the entire book, but I think this is something that could help a lot of folks. Uh, well, so there's two people said it in different ways and I can't remember the name of the book. I think it's called the one big thing by, by Keller. The guy did Keller Williams. Mm-hmm. Kind of get, I'm trying to name of his book. But he's Phil a, is it Phil what, Cook? I don't remember. Yep. There's the one thing. Yep. There's the there's the one thing, and I think I see that by uh, the the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. Okay, so I remember that. I remember specifically that one thing that I think a lot of folks pass on, which is get the hardest thing of the day done first. Just knock that thing out, um, and then. The, Grant Cardone also said it in another book. It might have been in, I can't remember. But anyways, same thing. Do do the things that others won't do. And a lot of times that ends up having to be the most difficult thing in your day. Because I think I used to, as a salesperson, if I had someone who was wanting to leave or is, was not wanting to stay with us, I would save that for last because I was just dreading that call. And you end up finding that, Whatever needed to get done for that customer ended up taking way longer than you thought. Now you're here till seven, eight o'clock at night working on something that probably you could have gotten help on because you would have had more people around if you had just made that call earlier on. I've also found that for my notes. I found that for anything else that just getting that one difficult thing done with and that one email sent out that's going to probably turn into more stuff. That's probably been one good cheat code I could say would be good for everyone to uh, grab onto. Jordan, I love that. You know, one of uh, one of uh, Balto's investors and a, a close advisor and, and friend of mine, um, he always says, "Run toward the fire," and um, and I, I think that that's you know that's one of the hardest things to do uh, professionally is you have something that's uncomfortable or something that's difficult, and you're just hoping that if enough time goes by. That it won't matter anymore. That everyone—it's not going to solve itself ever, yeah. right? 
Yeah. And if it, the thing is, I think that actually part of the, the challenge is sometimes it does. It, it, it never solves yeah. itself, but it, it goes away. And we're always just hoping the back of our minds, like maybe if we just don't, don't do that thing, it'll go away. But um, that's just, it, there's, there's times where, and I bet everyone who's listening can think about this, about something right now that you're like, shoot, I really need to do that. I need to do that thing. That thing's been something that's been on my list or it's a problem I got to deal with and I haven't wanted to do anything. So I've just left it, but I got to go do that thing. And I think that that's one of the, the honestly keys to success in business is to run toward the fire is to do that thing. And people write you know, that advice in a million ways. I think uh, Brian Tracy, I think it's Brian Tracy, um, you know, famous sales leader and uh, um, you know, author uh, wrote a book called Eat That Frog. You know, same concept of uh, you know you you got to do the the hard thing and just uh, just make it happen. Yeah, it's hard to do, especially if you know, especially if you've already got if you're when you're talking about sales, right? If you know you already got three or four or five customers that are getting ready to land, the easy thing to do is to work on those because you know that those are going to land, right? And you want to get those finished. You want to get your sales week started and done. But if you know that that one thing is still out there that it's going to be a thing later, right? It, to me, it's always made it worse to wait. It just always is worse to wait. And there's so many good things going on in the room when you walk in that it's even easier to, to just let it go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. So Jordan, we, we've talked a lot about um, you know what sales looks like today and uh, you know how to do it right in this modern buying environment. Let's take it 10 years down the line. And let's say that, or I guess eight years down the line, because uh, I'm doing this podcast for probably over a year now. Um, and it's the year 2030. What do you think that a really good sales culture, you know, what, what, what is a good sales organization going to look like in the year 2030? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly easy to say that there won't be any salespeople, right? That's the low hanging fruit is that there's going to be all this ability to buy online. Um, but I think we've already seen even cyclically in the last few years, you're seeing a lot of these young kids getting interested in 80s music, getting interested in older products. It's not to say that that couldn't come back around again. Um, and I do see for a while here that we're going to start leaning more and more towards being able to sell and purchase things online and there be less and less people involvement. But I do think that there are products, especially for us, insurance is one of them that people are always going to be very, very uncomfortable purchasing without someone's recommendation. And so I think industries, whatever industry they're in, need to do a really good job. If you remember those commercials back in the day where it was just a commercial about cheese, like it wasn't even about a brand of cheese, it was just cheese, right? And I think the industries need to get together and remember that the big dogs are coming in with a lot of money and they're going to try to sell the cheese online. And if you don't find a way to make it to where the customer feels like that they need to involve the salesperson, they, they, they may go away. And so I think, uh, I think it's one of the things that we can do as salespeople is to always provide value. And I think it's easy to grab the tools and to do and the email and the different things and not provide physical value to the person. Because if at the end of the day, they felt like I should have just bought that online because it would have been so much faster and I'd have saved a little bit of money, then you're not really doing yourself a whole lot of favors. 
So mm-hmm. you asked a specific question that I didn't answer. <laughs> I think that the the sales rooms will look smaller. I think there will probably be less of them, but those individuals will be highly trained and able to do a lot of volume based on their ability and their usage of the tools. Jordan, I think that's spot on. I think, uh, you know, there's a need right now, um, a need for people to know what's true, right? Like no one knows what's true. It's so, you get so many different sources of information. You're trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And I think that we're going to see this correction where uh, people want to believe in somebody else. They want to believe that, that they don't know where to go. And they say, maybe this guy, Jordan, can tell me, Jordan, you're an expert. Can you sort through all the information? I'm reading one article that says, never buy this type of coverage. And the other article that says, your entire family's at risk unless you buy this type of coverage. Can you help me sort through it? And I do think that smaller sales floor, because you're right, automation is going to take a piece of it, right? Yeah. Online sales is going to take a piece of it. But I do think that smaller, highly consultative sales floor is going to be really productive and help people make better decisions than people just trying to trust whatever algorithm you know they're they're going through based on whatever website they happen to land on that had the best you know Google ads ranking that day. Well, and you know what? As you're saying that, I'm thinking this out loud. <clears throat> so somebody out there listening to this may say I'm crazy, but there's a good chance that the number one salesperson is going to be the podcaster or the person giving the information through a different medium, right? We're not speaking one-to-one. I'm giving general concepts about insurance, about this car, about this, this, and that. And you get to listen to that person one-to-one, maybe ask questions about the product and then decide to buy from them or from someone else or not. I think that the more content we can probably put out about the product and why you should buy from us will probably be coming more from the, the, the main source, right? Than it will be the individual. So the individual getting on the phone, that person's already more informed than they would have been than you sitting there having to explain why you should have water damage covered, right? That person's already, they know they have to have it or are deciding not to buy it. Yeah. Jordan, if you can uh, explain you know, why someone needs water damage coverage and do a dance at the same time, then your TikTok could be the go-to place for buying. That's very, that's very, very true. That's very, very true. Yeah. Or, I mean, even if you just, I mean, I think that you, that you go better ways to make it fun, right? And it could be dancing, but it could be, yeah, someone on a river raft trip just talking about, you know, 1% versus 2% deductibles. I think too many folks come to us with having too little information. And I think that the the future buyer will be a different buyer. And that's why the sales program will be a little bit different, you know? Jordan, that's that's awesome. Well, well thank you so much for the time today. Do you want to shout out uh, Dagley? How do we get uh, to find you if people want to find you? And how do they find Dagley if they want to uh, be interested in, in, in buying from you guys or joining your team? Yeah. So, I mean, for sure, you can go to dagleyins.com. And we have a spot to request a quote on there. We'd love that. Um, or I don't have our sales number right in front of me because it's a, a 800 number, but 281-644-1000. And that is our service center number. You can call in there and come in through, uh, uh, ask for a, a quote. We'd love to do that. And then I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, my name is Jordan Draper. And uh, yeah. Jordan Draper, good to spend time with you, my friend. Thanks again for this. Hey, you too as well. Thank you. Take care.